0: Hello and welcome back to the Going Dutch podcast, a weekly look at the wonderful world of German football, brought to you by Fabian Herzl's Barmy Army. I mean, fantastic, right? So, another good weekend of football. Easier to say because of what happened in a certain game, you'll be able to guess because I've already referenced it, but... Oh, fantastic. I tell you what, he's best manager in the world already and only 29 years old. But that is for later on in the podcast. Another bumper episode this time around because yet again we have DFB Pacal football to go through. Turns out I was wrong last week. And for some reason, I had it in my head that the next fixtures in the Pokal were after the Super Bowl and not before the Super Bowl. And that's why I said in two weeks time. But no, They were this week. I did put a correction in the description of last week's podcast, so I hope you saw that in enough time. It was a while after publication as well, so there is a chance that some of the slower podcast apps haven't quite updated the description yet, I'm not sure but yeah, the dfb Carl actually taking place this week, alongside another weekend of the Bundesliga, the Spiteer Bundesliga and the Dutch League as well. Lots to go into. Remember, if you want to see all episodes of this podcast, to go to anchor.fm forward slash Split. You can also play this podcast there, or you can keep doing what you're doing because you're currently playing a podcast at the moment. You are the Thomas Lech of playing podcasts. Have we done that one before? I feel like we've done that one before. I'm not sure. Anyway, also remember to go to the sportsblitzblog.wordpress.com for writing about the world of sport. As mentioned in the last episode, I did end up writing a fifth transfer window update. So that can be found alongside the other four on the website. Anyway, with a lot of podcasts to get into, let's go into Matchday 19 from the Bundesliga and let's start off with Bochum 5, Hoffenheim 2, this was... Well, pretty much Bokeham domination from beginning to end. They opened up the scoring in the 22nd minute. Antia J finding Philip Hoffman at the back post for an easy tap-in. At 30 minutes, Philip Forster would be the next to have an easy chance. He was left completely unguarded in the middle of the box allowing for a neat finish for Hoffenheim defense giving him a nice little present on his birthday it was his birthday ah oh, what a wonderful birthday he had takuma sano made it 3-0 before the half time break he just waltzed through the hoffenheim defense and slotted into the bottom corner for me what was remarkable about this goal in particular was john brooks and nsoki both just deciding not to bother defensively they were horrific and nsoki was okay for the rest of the game, Brooks was absolutely terrible. There is a reason why the four Hoffenheim fans were so worried about Brooks signing from Benfica because he'd had a really tough time in Portugal, and maybe his powers had waned. And that that's looking like the case at the moment. Credit to Hoffenheim because they did come out better at the start of the second half. Whatever Andre Brighton writer had said in the halftime break had worked four minutes into the second half they had a goal back Christoph Bumgartner with a good finish to give Hoffenheim some hope and whilst they had moments after that by the time it was 4-1 in the 69th minute it was clearly game over an Erhan Masevic header Hoffenheim do potentially have the right to complain here because there was a pull from Masevic in the box on the defender that was marking him so For me, that could have very easily been disallowed. Anyway, Muniz de Boer would make it 4-2 in the 77th minute before the game was finished by Moritz Brzezinski, the new Bochum signing from Dortmund Schwei, getting his first goal in the Bundesliga. So, Bochum winning 5-2. It's their fifth win at home in a row. The first time they've done that... In 47 years in the top flight, absolutely fantastic for them. Thomas Lech has clearly turned this side around. They are playing a lot better under him than they did under Thomas Rice. You've heard all of this before. Let's talk about Hoffenheim because, yet again, they were absolutely terrible in this game. And it continues a run of Hoffenheim being terrible through their last few games. They were pretty much non-existent in the Cup against Leipzig. Obviously, they had that big 4-1 loss against Munch and Gladbach, Barving and Andre Kramaric masterclass, they could have easily lost against Stuttgart, and they were bad for the most part against Union Berlin, despite holding the lead for a lot of that game. So since the restart, they have been one of the worst sides in the Bundesliga. I think it's more than fair to say that. And to be honest, the response from those in charge at Hoffenheim has been Whatever the opposite of The Apprentice boardroom is, where everyone starts pointing fingers at everyone else, saying, oh, they should be fired, they should be fired, they should be fired. By comparison, everyone at Hoffenheim has been going, actually, it's my fault and I should take the blame here. Andre Brighton, writer, speaking after the game, said, "Quote: As a coach, I'm responsible for what's on the pitch, and what I've seen, I can't accept in any way. It has nothing to do with professional football. The head coach is responsible for the team's posture." Unquote. Meanwhile, the sports director Alexander Rosen wanted to place the blame on himself. He said, quote, I don't want to take the coaching question. That's too easy. I don't want to ask just one question. We need to ask bigger questions here. We changed the head coach and the players, but everything remains the same at the club, the managerial team. I'm involved in that. Somewhere there must be truth and answers, unquote. So it's refreshing to see everyone being honest about what they've done wrong and where they can improve. That's good. But Dietmar Hopp wanted somebody to fire, clearly, and he decided to fire Andre Brighton, right of head coach, is out at Hoffenheim. And it's understandable because, like I said, they've been absolutely terrible over these last few games. There really was nowhere to go. This Hoffenheim side on paper is so much more talented than a side that should be in a relegation battle, so... Really, if this side can get the right manager in, then they should be able to steer clear of that relegation battle they currently find themselves in. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Who says Koen Deutsch is biased? What a ridiculous judgment. It's just clearly not biased at all, but yeah... It was clearly his time to go. Best of luck for the future. We don't like seeing people sacked around here. These are human beings after all, but it is an unfortunate part of the football industry. I'm sure he'll be able to recover and get another job elsewhere. But yeah, this was the right decision. It was an understandable decision as well. As of point of recording, no one has been hired yet. If that has changed, I will put it in here. And that man is Pellegrino Maserazzo, the former Stuttgart manager who got the side promoted from the Spider-Bundesliga and had them playing exceptionally well, nearly made Europe in their first season back in the Bundesliga, is taking over at Toffenheim. Obviously, his last year and a bit in charge wasn't as good, but he had a lot of injury problems. And Maserazzo has clearly proven he's a very talented manager This is easily the best squad he's had with this Hoffenheim side. They should be doing so much better than they currently are. And Maserato has everything about him to get that side moving up in the table. So a really good hire from Hoffenheim, unfortunately, because I'm sure we all would have liked him to go to, you know, just someone else. No bias on going Deutsch. None at all. Borussia Dortmund 5, Freiburg 1. You've got to admit that when Freiburg lose, they lose big. They don't do half measures. You might remember they lost 6-0 against Wolfsburg in the first game. Back now they've lost 5-1 against Borussia Dortmund. Do you remember they used to have a really good defence? Not not recently. And part of that defence that didn't do too well in this game was Killian Sildillia. Well, not for long. In the 15th minute, he got a yellow card. He couldn't cope with Kareem Adeyemi. And you'd think if you'd got a yellow card, you'd probably want to take it carefully and, you know, be a bit cautious, not do anything too rash. Except, so Dilia again couldn't cope with Adeyemi and had a really clumsy foul to bring him down. It was his second yellow card. He had two yellow cards in the space of 75 seconds and was sent off in the 17th minute. The first one was a bit debatable. I am not sure myself whether I would have given a yellow card for that. I think it might have been a bit harsh, but the second one, especially when you're on a yellow card, was so clumsy and so stupid. He, just, he cannot be making mistakes like that. As a Bundesliga player, it was absolutely shocking. And after that, there was only going to be one winner in this game. To be honest, Dortmund, based on the opening 15 minutes, were going to be the better side. As it was implied, the defence was really struggling to cope with Dortmund's forwards in that opening 15 minutes. But once Freiburg were down to 10 men, there was only going to be one winner. Nico Schlotterbeck, would open the score against his former club from the narrowest of angles. An absolutely fantastic finish from the centre-back who does have a good goal in him every once in a while. Actually, not even that. He scored some really good goals this season already. So, yeah, really tight angles. Managed to get it in. And then, somehow... I don't really know how, because it was their first shot of the game. Freiburg would equalise going into the second half. Lucas Hilaire with the goal. He capitalised on some eh, questionable defending, we'll say. It wasn't exactly fantastic. And it meant that Freiburg could potentially hold on through the second half to get a point. You may have noticed they did not do that in the end. Because Dortmund came out, immediately started pushing the second half, Freiburg couldn't cope and Kareem Adeyemi would score just three minutes into that second half. He has really picked up the goal scoring bug. Having scored against Bayer Leverkusen, his first goal in the Bundesliga, he's now got two in two. And he played a really neat one-two with Jude Bellingham to get it, working the space in the box really well and scoring whilst surrounded by defenders. Really impressive. But let's be honest, if one thing is going to be remembered from this game, it's what came in the 51st minute. Because Sebastian Haller would score! He got his first goal for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. It was absolutely fantastic. Heading in a really good cross from Rafa Guerrero to get it. And the most fitting part about Haller's goal, considering his story, considering what he's been through to get to this moment, he scored it on World Cancer Day, which is just... If you had written that and handed it in to an editor, they would dismiss it for being massively unrealistic, but here we were, the football gods delivered unto us just this fantastic story, so well done to Sebastian Haller on coming back, the stadium absolutely erupted, his teammates were clearly so happy for him, he was overcome with joy, he said that the stadium felt like it was on fire when he scored, which was a very figurative term, but... Yeah, absolutely amazing to watch that. It is the moment of the weekend. Obviously, it wasn't the most impressive goal of the weekend, but it was the best goal of the weekend and the best moment of the weekend as well. Dortmund would score two goals after that. Julian Brandt in the 69th minutes with a really good finish from long range. The best goal of the day from a purely a aesthetic standpoint, but obviously not as monumental as for Haller goal, Gio Reyna would add one more late on a neat finish with good passing play to set it up. Well, it's fascinating for me, Jude Bellingham came off in the 71st minute. You know that Dortmund are playing well when they feel like they can rest Jude Bellingham because normally they're just like, no, no, he has to stay on. It's our only chance of doing well. But yeah, they just went, eh, it's fine. It's fine. We don't need to keep him on. The Freiburg defence, through their opening 15 games of the season, conceded just 17 goals. In the four games since then, they have conceded 13. That's not exactly fantastic and it speaks to a defence that is struggling since the return. The same thing happened last year. The defence was notably not as good in the second half of the season as they were in the first half of the season. Anyway, credit to Borussia Dorman; They played fantastically in this game for the second game in a row. We can just credit them for having a good performance. And like I said, even though they obviously had the advantage of playing with a man extra for 75 minutes of this game, or 73, I think, it didn't feel like the result would have been any different had Sedilia stayed on the pitch because... They were so good in the opening exchanges as well that it felt like this Dortmund win was coming. Augsburg won by Leverkusen nil. And it was interesting to me that Sky Sports decided, in the UK, decided to put this game on Sky Sports football ahead of the championship clash between West Brom and Coventry. I'll be honest, on paper, neither seemed good. But that was the weird part about it. It's not like this game was one of the most promising games in the Bundesliga on paper. This game looked like it was going to be terrible. It was nice that Sky had finally put a Bundesliga game on one of the main channels, on Sky Sports Football. But it was weird that they made this choice. Maybe, like we said either last week or the week before, Sky have a crystal ball and can see into the future because they picked the right game. This was a massive upset. Before the game, I said to someone about why I didn't want to watch this game. I don't like watching matches like this because they seem to have a foregone conclusion. Well, the foregone conclusion in this game was not as foregone as it first seemed, Augsburg were the better side for, well, pretty much most of this game. Now, that does not say as much about them as it does about Bayer Leverkusen, but... This was a really good win for Enrico Marson and company. The Bundesliga later on in the game showed a graphic on the screen saying that at the beginning of the game Augsburg had a 31.7% win probability. That seemed strong, but Augsburg lived up to, well, more than the billing because obviously They won this game despite not being the favourites. Merging Bereshire with the only goal of the game, completely unmarked in the middle of the box to head in a corner. It's his third game in a row with a goal. Augsburg did deserve this win, but Bayer Leverkusen were beyond abysmal. They didn't really orchestrate any good attacking plays. To be honest, for me, the... Sort of epitome of their game was when they had this really neat passing build-up and were, were building close to the box and getting close and looked like they were going to have a chance. This was probably in like the 88th minute and then Musti Arby tried to play a pass into the box and it just went absolutely nowhere. It went to no Bayer Leverkusen player, It went nowhere near any Bayer Leverkusen player. I was like, that that sums up what this night has been like for Bayer Leverkusen. They have just been... Bad throughout. Jabby Alonso has to figure out why they just could not get anything going in this game. Now, like I said, credit to Augsburg, they were defensively resolute, and whilst they didn't really do anything thrilling going forward, they did take their one chance when it came along. They're starting their annual climb towards safety. They seem to do this every year where they start the season poorly and then just Randomly in the second half of the season go, oh, we're good now, and we're going to stay up again. So, this seems to be one of the Bundesliga's traditions now. I'll tell you what else is a Bundesliga tradition. hair to Berlin being bad at football. Eindrack Frankfurt 3, hair to Berlin 0. And unlike last week, they do actually have reason to complain about something, because Rando Wani opened the scoring in the 21st minute from the penalty spot. After being fouled by a Hertha defender, it was a very harsh decision to give that as a penalty. Carlo Mouane went to ground far too lightly for my liking and there would have been no way I would have given a penalty for that. Hertha Berlin do have the right to feel aggrieved in that regard. They do not have the right to feel aggrieved about how the rest of the game went because Eintracht Frankfurt were easily the better side. Jesper Lindström would play a great through ball to Rando Colomarani in the 28th minute to make it 2-0. And then Aurelio Buter would make it 3-0 in the 94th minute. Really adding to his collection of goals in added time in games where Eintracht Frankfurt have already won. Good player, but seems to score the bulk of his goals in (laughs) moments where Eintracht Frankfurt don't really need a goal (laughs) There was a small window at the start of the second half, kind of like with Hoffenheim again spoken, where Sandro Schwartz had seemingly made the correct tactical changes, um, that it was going to benefit them. They made a triple substitution at the half-time break, they brought on Jesse Nankam, they brought on Shigerchi, the new Turkish player, and Mittelstedt as well, and it did pay dividends for a bit, but all in all... Here to Berlin were not even close to Eintracht Frankfurt in this game. That's not really a surprise. Obviously Frankfurt have been one of the best teams of the Bundesliga this year, quite surprisingly as well. And to Berlin have been to Berlin this season, quite unsurprisingly as well. And so this is a very expected result. The only... Things that were interesting outside of that, first of all, Evan and Dick are fully pouting the assistant referee in the face with the ball. He was trying to clear it, the assistant sort of moved his head down, he ducked to get out of the way, and that was a bad decision because it put him straight in the path of the ball uh, and it clobbered him right in the face. Now, luckily, he was okay to continue, so we are allowed to sort of not be horrified by it. But, yeah, that that didn't look like an entirely pleasant experience. Hey, maybe he understands what it's like being a Hertha fan now. Also, what was really nice after this game was Randall Collamuani being absolutely serenaded by the Eintracht Frankfurt fans at the Commerzbank Arena. It was absolutely fantastic. Go and watch the video if you can. Colin Muani speaking after the game, talked about how meaningful that was. And it looked really nice as well. So, an expected result. Eintracht Frankfurt still pushing the top of the Bundesliga. Hertha still being Hertha Berlin down below. Union Berlin 2, minds 1. At least one side in Berlin are still doing well. Kevin Behrens opening for scoring in the 32nd minute when he turned in a Seguin cross. It looked like Mines were going to get a point in the 78th minute when Marcus Ingvarsson scored from the penalty spot. And to be honest, Mines would have been more than deserving of that point. They played really well in this game. They matched Union, but in a frantic closing few minutes... It would be Union who would get the winner, Jordan, with his first goal in a while. And he showed that striker's instinct of being in the right place at the right time. His positioning was absolutely crucial. It meant the ball landed to him after pinballing around in the box. And he hit it into the top corner. Really well taken goal by Jordan, but his positioning was what made it all possible. Yeah, it was weird because for me, Mines, especially in that second half, showed more than enough to get something out of this game. Arguably, they were the better side of the game in general, but Union, again, just defensively resolute. I would say Robin Kanaka, probably the best player in this game, but Doeki played well, Leiter played well, Rusilon and Trimmel as well, all having really good games for Union Berlin, and then... They were clutch when they needed to be with Kevin Behrens, who's been on a fantastic run recently. feels like I've been saying his name quite a lot in these podcasts as of recent. And despite Gerardo Becker not playing well, Jordan coming back into the lineup. He's been missing for a few games now, and he's been on a bit of a scoreless run. But like I said, Strikers' instinct, absolutely fantastic to get that winning goal for Union. Urs Fisher's men still very much challenging Bayern at the top of the league table. Stuttgart nil. Werder Bremen 2. A really scrappy affair at the beginning, but two moments of brilliance from Werder Bremen would give them the win. First of all, real Route 1 play in the 59th minute. And bad Stuttgart defending would combine to allow Jens Steger to score his first goal in the Bundesliga, really good finish just inside the box, fantastic for him. It was a really good finish, but it was nowhere near as good as the second goal for Werder Bremen, Marvin Duschk, with a first-time hit from outside the box, curling into the top corner. It is the best goal I've seen him score, he was fantastic in this game, but that goal was absolutely amazing and a real highlight, real moment for the Verder striker probably the goal of the weekend for me because it was absolutely amazing speaking after the game Bruno Labadier said that he thought Stuttgart should have got something out of this game and to be honest he's probably right because outside of those two moments Verder Bremen weren't particularly amazing Nicholas Fullkrug probably should have got one in the first half it was ruled out I thought it was harsh because there was there wasn't really much contact between Fulkrug Kruger and the Defender. It's fascinating to me. You can argue the merits of that. Like I understand if you think it should have been disallowed, and I think there's a debate to be had there. But what you can't say is that that goal should have been ruled out. But the Bokum goal we talked about earlier on shouldn't have been ruled out. That's an absolute impossibility. And I don't think anyone is going to be making that claim. But it's a bit weird because that was much lighter for me than the Bokem goal that was given later on. But yeah, Labadie does have a reason to maybe not complain but remorse. Because I thought Stuttgart played quite well in this game. Particularly Genki Havaguchi who did put in a really good performance. One of the best players on the pitch In general, Atakan Kavazor as well played really well. And they created quite a lot of good chances. Credit to Yuri Pavlenka because Pavlenka actually played really well. He did have a near massively stupid error in the first half where he tried to play out from the back again. And to be honest, there are a lot of times where it feels like Yuri Pavlenka should be banned from playing out from the back because he hit it straight at a Stuttgart player. And it's a miracle for that, that that didn't result in a goal. But he he got through that error and he was much better for the rest of the game. So, that's really why Stuttgart didn't win it. Also, felt like the football gods weren't smiling down them, but who cares? Werder Bremen! Werder Bremen continuing to be fantastic. And those two great goals just adding to a fantastic season for Ole Werner's men. Wolfsburg 2 Bayern Munich 4. It's safe to say that Bayern Munich got off to a fast start in this game. Kingsley Coman with two goals in the 9th and 14th minute and a Thomas Müller header in the 19th minute making it 3-0 to Bayern Munich. The fascinating thing about that 3-0 up after 20 minutes you'd think it was a really dominant performance from meister. Well think again XG is not a be-all and end-all stat, but I think it's quite telling that despite being 3-0 up in the 20th minute, Bayern Munich had an XG of 0.3. They were 10 times better through those opening 20 minutes than their XG suggested they should have been. So that really is a tale of misery for Wolfsburg. Overall in the game as well, they only had 0.5 XG and yet scored 4 times. So, the football gods have not been smiling down on Bayern Munich a lot. Recently, they were really smiling down in this game. That that was one of the luckiest performances we've seen from a side this season. Wolfsburg, for me, for pretty much the whole game, were easily the better side, and yet... They just couldn't capitalise. It looked like they'd have a bit of a chance in the 44th minute. Jakub Kaminski would get one back for Wolfsburg to make it 3-1 at the half-time break. And then in the 54th minute, Joshua Kimmich would be sent off for a second bookable offence. The comeback's on. Bayern have been bad through this entire game. Wolfsburg are fantastic. They can easily pull this back. But when the fifth goal went in, and when it was a Bayern goal through Jamal Musiala, who is having an extraordinary season for Bayern Munich, it was game over. Right then, Matthias Samberg would get a goal back in the eighty-first minute to make it four-two, but it was already game over. And yeah, that was bad for Wolfsburg because they were the better side. They did deserve well, at least something from this game. They arguably deserve the win, but. Bayern were able to get the victory thanks to a really good start. They weren't really likely to lose that lead after that, even with the man disadvantage after Kimmich's red card. But Wolfsburg do have a lot of positives to take from this performance despite of the bad score. Two more games to talk about and I feel like they need about... 0.5 0.5 of a second each. koln nil, leipzig nil. Köln the better side in this game. Two points dropped. And glad back nil, Schalke-0. I was out having a lovely Argentinian steak dinner during this game. Absolutely fantastic. Sorry, you don't need to know that. But I was worried that I was going to miss a really good game here. And I didn't. So, yeah, good. I didn't have to watch any of this. It was fantastic. I would have watched it if I was at home at the time. And that would have been a gigantic mistake. Two news stories to briefly go into before we go into the Bundesliga table. then. First of all, the relationship between Bayern Munich and Manuel Neuer seems to be decreasing further. Obviously, last week we briefly mentioned the saga that has resulted in goalkeeping coach Tony Tapalovic losing his job. And I didn't realise last week just how close Neuer and Tapalovic were, because Tapalovic was the best man at Neuer's wedding, so that close he had a lot of power under Hansi Flick apparently Julian Nagelsmann doesn't get along with him and doesn't want him to be having that sort of power within Bayern Munich and who knows maybe the skiing incident was the straw that broke the camel's back for Nagelsmann maybe he's been wanting to get rid of Tapalovic for a while now and he saw this as a convenient excuse we don't really know and I don't think we ever will know But this has caused the relationship between Neuer and Nagelsmann to apparently really break down. Speaking to Raphael Honigstein in The Athletic, Manuel Neuer called it, quote, the most brutal experience, unquote, of his career. So, yeah, those are strong words. And, again, it's interesting that what Bayern Munich have said in response is not to have a go at him like they did with Serge Nabriam, the Paris Fashion Week incident, they've decided instead to go on a more softly, softly approach And with Oliver Kahn saying, look, I had a similar experience with the FB and a goalkeeping coach I liked was sacked, and I just had to go on with it because the team goals were more important to my individual sort of problems with the German national team and... It's interesting they've taken that view. I think they have to, in all fairness, to some extent, because Manuel Neuer is a club legend. And as we've seen, they are just not the same side without Manuel Neuer. And this this doesn't feel good for Bayern Munich because, at the moment, I don't see him actually wanting to play for the club again. Unless they do something to turn his mood around or maybe just the desire to keep on winning keeps him at the club. But at the moment... This sort of scandal is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's hard to see FC Hollywood recovering their image to being normal clinical buy-in, at least for the rest of the season, so it'll be interesting to see how this goes over the next few weeks. If you want to read more about it, then I highly recommend the Athletic article that Manuel Neuer was interviewed in, because it was an absolute doozy. The other thing I wanted to mention was with regard to Verda Bremen, and on the Thousand Hours podcast, which is an FM podcast I'm taking part in, I will put a link in the description to this podcast if you want to give that a watch we've been having. Well, at least the last two episodes, maybe the last three, we've had a random former Leeds player mentioned, and we've got one for this podcast as well, because Verda Bremen have announced that Felix Wiedwald will be going on an apprenticeship with the club, learning about all the functionings of the front office, well, what I would call the front office, I know that's a very American term, but learning about, like, what the sporting director does and all of the rest of the, sort of, management team above the coaching level do, and he's hoping to take this experience, parlay it into a career of that sort in the future. So, best of luck to him. Of course, he was a goalkeeper for Werder Bremen for quite a while. He's returning to the club to do this apprenticeship, and it'll be nice to see him, you know, sort of go on that sort of career. it be interesting to follow him, especially if he does end up taking a job with Werder Bremen. Best of luck to him. Okay, then let's have a look at the Bundesliga table after 19 games. Bayern Munich lead the way 40 points. Through those 19 games, one point clear with Union Berlin in second. Borussia Dortmund on 37 in third. Leipzig on 36 in fourth. Frankfurt, 35 in fifth. And Freiburg, 34 in sixth. It's a five-point jump down to Wolfsburg. The wrong end of the table. Schalke, bottom of the league on 11 points. Hertha Berlin, 17th on 14 points. 16th Stuttgart on 16 points. 15th, Bochum on 19 points. Hoffenheim also on 19 points in 14th with Augsburg two points ahead of them in 13th on 21 points after that very impressive win against Bayer Leverkusen. Okay, let's talk about the remaining fixtures from the round of 16 in the F B pokal Before we do, we should say something that I didn't mention ...earlier on in the recording, but all the games in this block of fixtures of the DFB, Carl had a minute's silence before them... ...to pay tribute to those who have lost their lives in the devastating earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Thousands are dead after earthquakes over seven in magnitude on the Richter scale were registered in the countries with devastating impacts, of course... I would like to extend my thoughts to those who are struggling during this incredibly difficult time. Let's go through the games in chronological order though, starting off with Sandhausen nil Freiburg 2. Definitely not the best game of this round. Sandhausen's tactics were clear as a side struggling at the bottom of the fight Bundesliga they were going to play a very defensively solid game against Freiburg they were going to try and frustrate their Bundesliga opponents and hit them on the break where possible and Sandhausen did have their chances through the game and also capitalized on some bad finishing from Freiburg. Mikhail Gregorich could have easily had two or three if he had just been able to convert some of his chances but he never was able to and it looked like Sandhausen were going to hold on to take Freiburg into extra time until the 87th minute and Mari al turning a corner into his own net it was absolutely devastating for him and then while in a scene that would repeat itself the day after Patrick Druez with a first time clearance definitely had the chance to take more than one touch but apparently thought one touch would do but it went straight to Niels Pedersen Peterson would also only take one touch with a curling effort into the top corner. To be honest, if Drues had been in the goals, he wouldn't have made a save anyway because it was so perfectly placed. But at the same time, that goal only comes around because of his panicked clearance. It was in the 95th minute though, so it didn't really change the game. But it was... A really impressive finish from Peterson, even though there was no goalkeeper in the goals. So Freiburg go through to the next round, having won the battle of the oval black and white logo clubs. And well done to them, because as we all know, that is the most prestigious derby in Germany. In all fairness, it is a derby because they're fairly close together. I believe Freiburg is about an hour and a half away from Sandhausen, so it's not like they other ends of the country. But still, they're only rivals definitely because of their oval black and white logos. Whoever stole it from the other one ignited a long-standing rivalry that still lasts to this day. The next game of the night was far more interesting. Eintracht Frankfurt 4, Darmstadt 2. This game was also a local rivalry that's not like a big one because Eintracht Frankfurt and Darmstadt have rarely played in the past. But it is a local rivalry between a side of the Bundesliga and a side in the Spite Bundesliga. But this time, the side of the actually played really well. Not from the beginning. Eintracht Frankfurt did open the scoring in the sixth minute through Rando Kalamuani heading in a booter cross. You know, there was a really interesting fact about Kalamuani. And I can't remember what it was. Oh, what was it? Oh, something to do with how he'd signed. Like, something to do with his transfer. I feel like someone mentioned it. Someone must have mentioned it somewhere. It might be one of those statue here hear once, though. It's not something that's repeated every single time he scores. <laughs> Including in this podcast, by the way, in this very episode. But Colin Warney heading in. And I forgot to mention earlier, when I talked about him being seven-aided with a chant, it is the best chant. It is the one that was sung to Yaya and Colo Torre, but with his name, Colo, 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 colo Moani. Fantastic. Keep that and just keep repeating it forever, please. Preferably, after that, though, Darmstadt did grow into the game, and they did get two goals in the space of three first-half minutes to take the lead against their Bundesliga opponents. Both goals. Scored by Matthias Honsack, and they were similar goals to ones we'll mention later on that he scored against Sandhausen in the Spider Bundesliga this weekend. The first, a really fast break, Darmstadt ending up with a three on one, and Honsack getting an easy chance to score. The second one, a fantastic assist from Fabian Schnellhardt. It turns out everyone can just do these really good assists for Darmstadt with Honsack getting another easy chance to score. It looked like Darmstadt were going to be taking the lead into the half-time break, but in the 44th minute, Darmstadt's defending, while it was strong through most of the game, or strong through most of the first half, it was not strong when Mario Goetze would pass to Raphael Bova. Really good passing play from Amtrak Frankfurt set up Bova, and he would finish. Borough obviously requested a transfer in the winter, it didn't happen, but he does seem to be giving his all for Eintracht Frankfurt, and he's clearly a player that Oliver Glasner depends upon and has a lot of trust in as well. This was shown in this game, it's been shown in multiple other games recently as well. So to all of the half-time break, Darmstadt still playing really well, and they did have a lot of great chances in the second half, of course, they did put the ball in the back of the net, disallowed for a fairly obvious offside, but... The replay showed that, I can't remember who it was who headed it, but if they'd left it, Philip Teets was unmarked at the back post, and he would have scored that. I know he's not been scoring lots this season, but he is a fantastic player, and he's been contributing in other ways. We will talk about that when we get into the Schweizer Bundesliga segment, and he would have scored that. All he would have needed is a touch to bring it down, and would have tapped it in at the back post. I have 100% certainty about that. Despite their good chances, though, it wasn't Darmstadt who would score next or at any point in the rest of the game. Eintracht Frankfurt getting two second-half goals. First of all, a fantastic hit on the half-volley. First time from Daichi Kamada. Absolutely fantastic. You can see why so many of Europe's top clubs want him. Please stay at Frankfurt, Daichi. It would be wonderful, though also quite unrealistic, judging by recent reports. And then, of course, Rando Calamwani. Colo, 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 Muani With the fourth in the 90th minute, he put on the afterburners after Mario Goetzer played a long ball through to him. Honestly, it looked like everyone else was running in slow motion. He was absolutely fantastic. So Eintracht Frankfurt through to the quarterfinals, this is really good news for them and we know their prowess in knockout tournaments, we saw it last year when they won the Europa League for Darmstadt. I think the best thing to say about them is that through most of this game they look like a Bundesliga side, they look like any other Bundesliga side that Eintracht Frankfurt have come up against this year and I know there are better examples and more German examples but what it reminded me of was when Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds went to Arsenal in the FA Cup in their last year in the Championship. And a lot of pundits and fans praised them for looking like a Premier League side in that game. And that's what Darmstadt had in this game. They look like a Bundesliga side. They've been doing so well in this fighter. And if they keep this up, then they will be playing Eintracht Frankfurt in the league next season. Nuremberg 1 for Tuna Dusseldorf 1. Nuremberg advancing in the penalty shootout. This was the only game in the FBP Pacal this weekend. That was between two fighter Bundesliga sides. And it wasn't a particularly interesting game right up until the end. David Koenaki would open the scoring for Tuna Dustoff in the 33rd minute. Heading in across from Emmanuel Hoa. And it looked like that was going to be enough. Because Nuremberg were not very inspiring in the second half or the first half. Or really for any parts of the game. Until the 93rd minute. A really good finish by Tylan Duman would get Nuremberg level. The sides would remain level in extra time as well and go through to the penalty shootout. The interesting thing about the shootout, oh actually, sorry, before I forget, right before in the 121st minute, Florian Flick was sent off the loan signing from Schalke. Of course, it categorically did not matter because the full-time whistle went immediately afterwards, but he got his second yellow card right before the shootout. Of course, if Nuremberg had lost this, it would have been really interesting to see if Flick was meant to be taking one of those penalties, because that would have actually made it a more interesting story, but it's not an interesting story, so we won't talk about it. What was, was Florian Kastenmeier taking the second penalty in the shootout, the first for his team, the goalkeeper, if you don't know, a red star icon on my old football manager, But yeah, he took the first penalty for Fortuna Dusseldorf and then he saved Thailand Duman's penalty straight afterwards but both feet off the line. And that meant the penalty stood despite the fact that it didn't go in. The only one that wasn't scored in the entire penalty shootout, Yona Nimietz, missing for Fortuna Dusseldorf. Sorry, I should say his shot was saved by Nuremberg keeper Peter Janssen. Nuremberg scoring all five of their penalties, they advance to the quarterfinals. Final game to mention then from the round of 16, Bochum 1, Borussia Dortmund 2, the only All-Bundesliga affair this week in the Pokal. Of course, we had some last time out last week. But this time, Bochum and Borussia Dortmund playing in the only All-Bundesliga game that we saw. And it was an interesting match with some... Big talking points. Let's start off at the very end of the first half. It wasn't an interesting first half but oh boy did it have an interesting finish because Manuel Vieman came way out to try and clear the ball he did first time but it fell straight into the path of Emre Chan who hit it into an open goal. It was so close to being caught by not only two Bochum defenders, but by Riemann himself, but it just trickled into the net. It was going at a snail's pace by the time it crossed the line, but that didn't matter. It must have been so frustrating (laughs) for the Boakum defenders. Go and look it up if you've not seen it, because it was the most interesting goal of the weekend, if not the most skillful goal of the weekend. Still a good finish from Cham, because he was... Well, it was inside the Bokum half only just, so, you know, it requires some talent to hit it from that far out into the goal, I guess. The big controversy of the game came in the 64th minute. Kevin Stoger scoring a penalty for Bokum. It was given for a supposed handball by Jamie bino Gittens, but there were a few problems with the decision. It is... Probably for me, the worst decision I've seen this season from a referee in Germany, which says quite a lot because... As anyone who watches any football from anywhere in the world knows, referees can be prone to making bad decisions from time to time. So let's start off with the fact that it just wasn't handball. It just wasn't by any stretch of the imagination. His hand was in a natural position, his arm was in a natural position and the ball was fired at him at such speed from such close range. But he really had no opportunity to either get his hand into the way or out of the way. It was pressed right up against his body as well. So by no definition was it a handball. And VAR and the referee looked at this for multiple minutes. It must have been at least three minutes they looked at this. And they couldn't figure out that his hand was in a natural position. His arm was in a natural position. He had no time to move his arm. It was pressed right up against his body. Furthermore, even if you did think it hit his arm in an unnatural position... The second problem was it was outside of the box. He is standing on the line with his body leaning forward, which means his arm, when it makes contact with the ball, is outside of the box. It is physically impossible for his arm to be inside the box. If you just watch the footage, you can see quite clearly his arm is outside of the box when it makes contact. And since that is where the infraction took place, that is where you're meant to place the ball. So, it was outside of the box. It was a free kick. So, the correct decision was to say there was no handball. But the correct wrong decision would be to give a free kick for handball. So, not only did he get the fact it wasn't a handball wrong, he also got the fact that it wasn't a penalty wrong because he gave a penalty when it should have been a free kick if it was handball, which it wasn't. But again, even if you think it was handball and it was inside of the box... It still doesn't matter because there was a foul on Jamie Bino Gittins in the build-up. He was quite clearly pushed by a Bokum attacker. And this wasn't two minutes before because, like we all say, the AR shouldn't be going back two, three minutes before analysing a goal. It was within five seconds of the handball that wasn't a handball that was inside the box, except it wasn't inside the box. So... Not only was it not a penalty because it wasn't handball, it also wasn't a penalty because it wasn't inside the box. And it wasn't a penalty because there was a foul in the build up that should have made it a free kick to Dortmund. So it wasn't wrong on one ground, it wasn't wrong on two grounds. It was wrong on three grounds. And I don't know many VAR decisions that get it that significantly wrong. It was a colossal failing of the referee and of VAR to not notice so many reasons as to why it shouldn't have been given a penalty. It was absolutely shocking. Anyone, literally anyone pulled from the street, put into the VAR box or given the whistle and asked to referee the game should have noticed that that wasn't a penalty. This was not one of the harder calls to make. This might have been the easiest call of the entire night. Referees can face a lot of Difficult decisions that involve a lot of interpretation of a fairly complex rulebook. But this really wasn't one of them. It was shocking that the referees got it that wrong. But luckily for them, it wouldn't matter because Salia Erstchan would play a fantastic through ball through to Jude Bellingham who broke away. Almost as fast as Randall Colomar needed on his break for the final goal in the Frankfurt-Darmstadt game. And he would square it to Marco Royce, who would tap into an empty net for the game-winning goal for Borussia Dortmund. And Dortmund deserved that win. They were the better side. They were uninspiring at points. But bearing in mind that their opponents only got a goal because of a penalty that should just have never been given. They capitalised when they needed to. They were efficient and clinical when they needed to. And they deserve their place in the quarterfinals of the DFB Pacal. Let's slide on down into the Svita Bundesliga event for Matchday 19. And let's start off with Kaiserslautern against Holstein Kiel. This was going to be a real test for Kai Slouten. Kiel can be a really tough opponent on their day. But Kai Slouten did survive that test winning 2-1. And Holstein Kiel's tactics from the start were very clear. They wanted to limit possession for Kai Slouten. They wanted to be defensively rugged. And to make sure they were going to be a very hard out for the Red Devils. But that was going to be a challenge considering they conceded in the 6th minute. Daniel Hanslick with a header. Kiel were the better side, though, for most of the first half. They would equalise at the 30th minute. Finn Porath with the goal. I don't know what Andreas Luther was trying to do in the Kaiser goals. He has been one of the best players in this fight to Bundesliga so far this season. But that was a cataclysmic ever from him. He. Went out to try and gather a ball I and mean, then he just sort of stopped and saw it idly roll by him. It's one that really, it's hard to explain without having watched it, but it was a massive error from Luther, not the sort of error you see him make normally. Again, Kiel frustrated Kaiserslautern through much of that second half. It created a few chances, but when the third and final goal came in this game, it would be for the home side, and of course, it would be Terence Boyd as well, who has been fantastic for them this season, a tap in at the back post, and one he was very grateful for as well because he'd missed a fairly easy chance earlier on, not as easy as the chance he scored, but it still it felt like a moment that's the we were going to regret if they didn't go on to win this game. Credit as well to Henrik Zuck, who played a fantastic ball through to and He was more than eager to point out the great work of... Zuck in providing that assist when he scored as well. Kaiserslautern deserved this win considering the challenge that Kiel put them under through most of this game. They were absolutely fantastic and there is now very genuine belief that Kaiserslautern could mount a challenge for back-to-back promotions and get back into the Bundesliga. It would be absolutely incredible. And that dream was helped by the fact that Heidenheim dropped points this weekend, losing 2-0 away at Eintracht Braunschweig. This game got international attention because the night before, some Hanover fans broke into Eintracht Braunschweig stadium, of course. Hanover and Braunschweig are big rivals and they burned the number 96 into the centre circle, just in case you don't know. Hanover's full name is Hanover 96, so it is a very strong reference to Hanover, the club, Eintracht, Braunschweig, so despised. They tried to get rid of it on the morning of the match, they failed, and in the end they ended up kind of blurring the number 9, but not really, and crossing it out and putting 9 Danker, no thanks, around the centre circle. The people who broke in were not quite Banksy, you know, it wasn't a great piece of graffiti, you could have done anything, you could have done the girl holding balloons, that's fantastic, it would look fantastic in the stadium, but no, it was very annoying for Braunschweig, but they did get a win, so maybe not that annoying, hey, maybe it's a good luck charm, I don't know, maybe ask them to come back next week and do the same thing, or well, two weeks time with an next at home, and maybe they'll bring more wins for a Braunschweig side who. While have been getting better through the season, I was going to say have struggled to pick up wins. But to be honest, over the last few months, they have been much better than they were in the opening stages of the season. And their league position reflects that. But anyway, both goals coming late on in the game. In the 72nd minute, Jan hendricks marks would play an absolutely fantastic long ball to find Manuel Vintheimer. Who outran his defender and slotted well into the back of the net? That goal was good. It was not as good as the second, kind of like Vedder Bremen. Really, it was not as good as the second because Lyon Lauberbach, really good assist this time from Manuel Vintheim of the goal scorer for the first crossing in Lauberbach would. Chest it and volley it into the top corner. It was a really good finish from him. One of the goals of the weekend of the Spider Bundesliga second to a St. Pauli goal in my humblest of humble opinions. Okay, not that humble. Quite biased as well, actually. But <laughs> a really good win for Eintracht Braunschweig, who are close to being in the top half of the moment. Obviously, that doesn't mean too much because of how close the bottom of the spider Bundesliga is at the moment but there have been a lot of performances for Braunschweig to be proud about. This one, well, it wasn't the most convincing performance, but they were clinical when they needed to be, and they held off a few really good Heidenheim attacks. Heidenheim were kind of unlucky, I guess, because a lot of times they would probably get something out of this game, but with their lack of finishing and Braunschweig's clinical ability to score in this game, It meant that they lost and that they lose ground in the promotion battle. Okay, let's move on then to the only game that actually matters from this weekend in all of Germany. St. Pauli 2, Hanover 0, Fabian Herzler's Barmy Army. Only 29 years old. A fantastic win for St. Pauli. The first time this season they've won back-to-back games as well. Obviously, This was Herzler's first game in charge at the Milan Tour, having taken over from Timo Schultz during the winter break. And it was interesting, you know, we have all the joking about Fabian Herzler's Barmy Army, but there was a very muted sort of reaction to him when he first came out because a lot of St. Pauli fans, myself included, still don't agree with the decision to sack Timo Schultz. He seems to be doing a decent enough job. And um, the problem was more with the players on the pitch than it was with coaching because St. Pauli looked like one of the best sides in the league if they could just score football goals. So that wasn't really on Chultz. But Herzl is now the man of the helm and, of course, he'll be getting the full support of the Milan Tour faithful, just like he did in this game. But, like, when he first came out, there was no real big cheers and neither was there any booing. So, just like... I think the commentator that I was listening to put it best, he said that the... Millentor of Aethel were keeping their powder dry when it came to Fabian Herzler. But they have many reasons to be excited based off this performance. St. Pauli took the lead in the first half. A long shot from Dapo after line was spilled by Ron Robert Zela, surprisingly, and straight into the path of Lucas Dashner. It was 2-0 before the half was over as well, with the best goal of the week in the fight Bundesliga, in my very biased opinion. Conor Metcalf with a first-time curling effort into the top corner from inside the box. Originally given offside, but the AR reviewed it and found that he was onside and the goal was allowed to stand. The defending, we'll say, was questionable. If this was a Hanover fan podcast, I would be very, very, very unhappy with just how much space Conor Metcalf was given in the box. by my St. fan, so I'm absolutely more than fine with it. The second half, St. Pauli continued to be the better side. There was only a brief window sort of after the red card. We should mention that. Phil Neumann was sent off for Hanover for a second bookable offence midway through the second half. And to be honest, I could have told you that was going to happen from like the fifth minute on because he was grouchy and miserable and complaining about everything that was going on. So it seemed like it wasn't going to be his day. And when the red card came for him, I was like, yeah, that's no... Surprise, everyone wanted to kick Dapo off a lion, and I don't know why, because he seems lovely. But at one point, he went up to the ref and went, they're all kicking me, you know, actually do something about it. And eventually, Neumann would get sent off for, you'll be stunned to hear this, a foul on Dapo off a lion. So, yeah, that wasn't too much of a surprise, because he had, he had a rough game, we'll say it was a terrible game for Phil Neumann. Is he always that moany and complaining? I mean, Hanover fans, get in touch if you want to or don't. It doesn't matter. But it just felt like he just kept complaining again and again and again. I was like, oh my God, shut up. And eventually, the referee would give him his marching orders, not for complaining, but for a poorly timed challenge. St. Pauli did get a third after that, but it was disallowed. Conor Metcalf with a volleyed cross for Lucas Dashner. I wanted to mention it just because the cross from Metcalf was really good. He had a man of the match performance. He was absolutely fantastic. So, St. Pauli put together a good performance, two good performances in the last two games. Granted, the win against Nuremberg last week was really on the back of a strong defence performance. I would say this was a more complete team performance than that one was, but six points from their last two games probably aren't going to complain as they rise up to ninth in the table. Meanwhile, for Hanover, obviously we mentioned earlier that some of their fans broke into Antwerp Braunschweig's ground and put the 96 in the centre circle, while Braunschweig won, meanwhile... Hanover lost, so you know maybe that was the football gods enacting their revenge giving them a bit of karma. Granted it's not going to feel like that for Stefan Lytle and company. So St Pauli moved further away from the drop with that win. One side who moved out of the drop Because of their game, Armenia Bielefeld winning 3-1 away at Jan Regensburg. Another relegation six-pointer for Bielefeld, but this time they did win it. As a result, they have up to 13th in the league, Jan Regensburg falling into relegation places. It didn't look like that was going to happen at first, because Jan Regensburg took the lead in the second minute. Jan Alveidi heading in a corner. He cut through the defence like a hot knife through butter. Far too easy for the young Regensburg defender. But after that, Armenia Bielefeld were the better side through the rest of this game and they would deserve the win. They would make it 1 all in the 14th minute. Sebastian Vasilidis with a great volley at the back post over the head of Urbig in the young Regensburg goal and into the net. Yeah, Magsburg did have a goal disallowed for offside after that was the correct call. And that was really one of our few chances to actually do something. It looked like they we're going to hold on defensively resolute for a point. But in the 85th minute, the substitute and I'm guessing former captain fantastic. I don't think he's still the captain. He used to be the captain. Fabian Close making it 2-1. That might be incorrect. I'm not sure. Fabian Klose did score and he did make it 2-1, but I'm not sure if he is or isn't the captain, and I'll be honest, I can't be bothered to look it up. A header from close range. He would then get another header in the 91st minute to make it 3-1, Jan Regensburg. Probably shouldn't leave them as open in the box as it was for those two goals. This could prove to be a very big win for Bielefeld. They've been struggling with getting results in the Svijter Bundesliga and, of course, struggling with morale and mentality as a result of failing to get results. But this could be a massive win for them and one that propels them to a better league position than they've been threatening to have through most of the campaign. For Jan Regensburg, they're still struggling at the bottom of the table and they could be a very strong contender for going down. Well, they're in one of the relegation places at the moment, so they are definitely a contender for going down. Magdeburg won Karlsruhe, won a goal at the very beginning of the game and a goal at the very end of the game. Sebastian Jung would give Karlsruhe the lead a really neat finish, essentially just a long-range pass into the bottom corner from far outside the box, one of the goals of the weekend to be sure. Through most of the game, Magdeburg were the better side, apart from when it mattered in the finishing department, where they really weren't. They had 16 shots off target, so, you know, well done them. But they did finally get a goal in the 94th minute. It was very scrappy for Daniel Alfadley but it still counts, and that gave Magdeburg what could be a vital point in the battle against a drop. Of course, it could be two vital points dropped for Karlsruhe as well. Magdeburg, bottom of the league on 18 points. Karlsruhe in 14th place, but only one point better off the table, down at the bottom, getting even tighter somehow. Paderborn for Dusseldorf won the first convincing win Paderborn have had in quite a while and it means two wins from two since we've come back from the winter break for the side which is a significant uptick in form. My favourite part of this game wasn't actually any of the five goals. If you think back to Marcelo Bielsa, you might know that he's always had this thing for sitting on non-chairs, like he'd always either bring a bucket to the game or he'd sit on a drinks cooler or something like that so that he was in that sort of squatting position that he really liked well another person who doesn't want to sit on his own team's bench is apparently Lucas Kwazniok because he decided to bring his own garden furniture to the game or well, at least that's what it looked like just sort of like these garden chairs that him and his assistant were sat on so that was fun I don't know why he decided to bring his own furniture to the game, but from that furniture, he saw a really good performance from Paderborn. They opened the scoring in the 37th minute, Palming peeringer with that one. Dusseldorf would get a penalty at the beginning of the second half. Julian Jusvan would slide in and catch the foot of Carbonic. Rowan Hennings would score from the penalty spot. Yannis Hoyer, though, just three minutes later, would make it 2-1 for Paderborn. Some of the worst defending in the Streitabunds League this weekend. The ball was absolutely pinballing around the box. Fortuna Dusseldorf did absolutely nothing to clear it. And Hoyer was there to slot into the net. One of the easiest chances of his career. Padmore will make it three-one from the penalty spot, and it was absolute role reversal from the earlier penalty. This time, Carbonic bringing down Julian Yusvan in the box with Muslia scoring the penalty and then 4-1 to round off the game in the 81st minute. Really neat passing play setting up Robert Lightpertz who continues to have a really good season for Paderborn. A dominant win for them and a much needed good performance because whilst they won their game last week against Karlsruhe, they have not been convincing for quite a while now so to have this win, it could be a significant confidence boost for Lucas and Company as they seek to get back into the promotion picture on 32 points at the moment. So they're definitely not a long way off. Meanwhile, the league leaders also scored four in their game, Sandhausen, Nil Darmstadt four, and this. Well, unsurprisingly, was domination from beginning to end. Matthias Honsack would open the scoring with a header from a corner. Philip Tietz, who was man of the match for me, for the second goal, played an amazing through ball to Matthias Honsack to get to his second of the game. It was two passes from the keeper to Honsack, but Tietz with a super assist to get Honsack through on goal for an easy opportunity. 2 0 at a half time break. 10 minutes into the second half, Darmstadt would make it 3 0. Another fantastic assist from Philip Teets. Go and look up his work if you haven't seen it. The highlights from this game, which are on the Bundesliga's website. He set up Oscar Wilhelmsen to score the next goal. And then in the 89th minute, Darmstadt would round off their scoring. A spill from the keeper, capitalised on by Amir Karic. The defending could have been better, but Darmstadt were just absolutely fantastic in this game. On the very, very, very few occasions that Sandhausen were able to present a threat, Marcel Schuen with a fantastic performance in Nets, there's one of the saves he made right on the goal line, having to reach back and grab the ball and stop it from going over the goal, which he barely does, was arguably save of the week. It was absolutely outstanding. Another great performance for Darmstadt, who kept their undefeated run going at 21 games at that point. Of course, then the dfb Pacal game happened, as mentioned earlier on in the podcast, and that's where their undefeated run would end against Eintracht Frankfurt. Final game to mention, Hansa Rostock nil hamburger 2, the anti-going-Deutsch derby, the one that I least look forward to. HSV getting a win to continue their push at the top of the table. They opened the scoring thanks to some not great defending by Hansa that helped see the ball land right at the feet of Ludovic Rice for one of his easiest finishes of the season. Hansa would have two goals disallowed for offside. Both of them were the correct call because apparently nobody at Rostock knows what the offside rule is. So that's not great for them. Then a player was sent off for Hansa a second yellow card. To be honest, it could have been a straight red because it was a really bad challenge on Bakkiri Yatta, stood showing straight into his ankle. to be honest, that easily could have been a red card for me. I probably would have given it a straight red myself. That player, by the way, Demian Roschback, because I've just realised I forgot to say his name. Anyway, Andres Nemeth would then get the final goal of the game for HSV in the 94th minute from a good counter-attack that left the attackers like just, there were three on one at one point. It was just like, well, take your pick, whoever wants to score this one, and Nemeth was the one who did. They did ride their luck a few times, HSV, HSV. in this game. This wasn't an all-conquering performance. This wasn't like Darmstadt against Sandhausen or Paderborn against Dusseldorf, but it was still a really good win for the side as they opened up a bit of daylight between them and Heidenheim, who of course lost to Eintracht Braunschweig. Anyway, let's have a look at the fighter Bundesliga table then after 19 games. It is Darmstadt who still lead the way 42 points from those 19 games. Hamburger just two points behind on 40 with a four-point drop down to Heidenheim on 36. Kaiserslautern on 35 are in fourth and Paderborn on 32 are in fifth. Dusseldorf three points behind them with Hannover and Holstein Kiel still also in the promotion race though starting to lose ground now. At the wrong end of the table meanwhile Magdeburg are bottom on 18 points and then just check how close the rest of the table is. 17th Jan Regensburg 19, 16th Nuremberg 19, 15th Sandhausen 19, 14th Karlsruhe 19, 13th Bielefeld 20, 12th, Hansa 21. 11th, Braunschweig 21. And then 10th, Greuter and 9th, St. Pauli both on 23. So they've got the very slightest amount of breathing space. But that means the bottom 10 teams in the league are separated by just five points. The bottom five teams in the league just separated by a single point. You could not ask For a tighter league than the Spider Bundesliga is at the moment. It is absolutely wild. I think what this shows is that the Spider Bundesliga is a real super league. Yes, they're trying to bring that back again. And it's still stupid. Now, granted, they've been able to make it less obvious that they're just trying to concentrate all the power and money within an elite few clubs. But they are still trying to do that, so it's stupid still and it's a reminder of why we love German football because unlike that pile of nonsense it's actually authentic. Let's have our usual quick look at the Dritter League event and Alversberg can be really starting to dream now about back-to-back promotions going up to the spider Bundesliga because they had a massive 4-0 win away at Saarbrücken that's put them 14 points clear between them and fourth in the league, which is the current promotion playoff spot because of Freiburg's fight, we'll get into that later, But a massive win, a great performance. They were given a big boost in the 26th minute when Sarbuken's Janika was sent off. They got two goals through Schnellbecker, one through Rolte Marder, and one through Kofi through the rest of the game in a very dominant performance. They did miss a penalty, actually both sides missed penalties, but this was a complete Alversberg performance. 50 points from 21 games, Saarbrücken having lost three of our last four on 36 points in fourth, so Alversberg now have a 14-point cushion between them and... And the promotion playoffs with just 17 games to go. There are a lot of reasons to believe for Alversburg fans. They also gained ground in the title race as well because Vehen drew 1 all at home to Victoria Kiln. It means that Alversburg are nine points clear of second place. Meanwhile, Freiburg Schwei go up into third place after a 2 0 win against Bayreuth, whereas Lasso, when you need him, it means that they well, hold on to what is normally the promotion playoff spot, but obviously they can't get promoted, so that spot goes down to fourth place. And Saarbrücken, closing in are Waldorf. Mannheim, who have picked up 11 points through their last five games, but they did drop points this time around, one all against 18 1860 Munich continue to not have a particularly good time, having drawn two all with relegation candidates Oldenburg. So, as it stands, Saarbrücken fourth on 36, Ward of Mannheim fifth on 36, 18.6 Munich sixth on 34, and a side really creeping up now, VfL Osnabruck. Also on 34 points, having won their 6th game on the bounce. This one, a 3-1 win over an Edge of G outside, who had been doing really well before that. 2 informed sides going up against each other, Osnabrück being the victors. Another side in-form, on 33 points, are Dinamo Dresden, who have won their 3rd game on the bounce. A 7-1 win against Talasher. You can't exactly complain about that or ask for much more. They're on 33 points and therefore just 3 points behind Saarbrücken. Ingolstadt, meanwhile, are just five points behind Saarbrücken, but they've lost their fourth game on the bounce, a 2-1 loss away at Dortmund. So those are the top nine. If you want to have a look at the league table, then you go do that. At the wrong end, Meppen have picked up their third point in four games, so I guess progress. A one-all draw against Svakau. Halasher, as mentioned, lost 7-1 to Dino Dresden. It's their Third loss on the bounce and fourth loss in five. Bayreuth lost 2-0 to Freiburg. Schreie and Zwakau as mentioned, drew with Meppen. Those are the relegation places. Dortmund, Schwei are now out of those relegation places because of our win against Ingolstadt. They're on 21 points now. Oldenburg, as mentioned, drew with eighteen sixty and And on the other side, who are still in the relegation battle, lost, as mentioned, to Osnabrück. Games of the weekend then, and to be honest, there have been easier weeks to pick the games of the weekend than this week. I'm not overly thrilled with the fixtures, but I'm sure they'll be more interesting on the pitch than they are on paper. Let's start off with the Bundesliga then, and I'm going to go for the Swabian derby between Freiburg and Stuttgart. Obviously... This being a derby overrides the fact that one side really should be winning this game. Stuttgart have been struggling for a while now. They're in the relegation places. No win in five for, well now, Bruno Labadea's men. Meanwhile, for Freiburg, they obviously had that not particularly enjoyable 5-1 defeat away at Borussia Dortmund. They're sixth in the league. They need a bounce-back win, and they should be getting a bounce-back win against their rivals, but when it's a derby, it can be hard to say. In this fight Bundesliga, I mean, I don't want to, but I'm going to have to pick a HSV game. See how neutral I am? I'm absolutely fantastic. Heidenheim against... Hamburger, by the way, the stuttgart Freiburg game, 3.30 on Saturday, Central European Time, if you're in the UK, knock off one hour. But going back to the Heidenheim-Hamburger game, the Sport 1 Saturday night broadcast 8.30 on Saturday, funnily enough. Hamburger have been playing really well, they've won their last three straight, including that, well not particularly convincing, but good enough win against Hans of Rostock. Heidenheim, meanwhile, of course, lost to Eintracht Braunschweig at the weekend. They need to bounce back against a very tough opponent. Meanwhile, my Dritte Liga game of the weekend, it was a bit of a tough choice, but I'm going to go for Borussia Dortmund-Schweig against Saarbrücken, a game with implications at both ends of the table. Despite being in fourth, Saarbrücken are holding on to the promotion playoff spot. But it's also, despite losing three of their last four, as mentioned, they lost 4-0 to Alversburg at the weekend and they need a bounce back win if they want to hold on to that spot. Meanwhile, for Borussia Dortmund's Fi, they have won their first game in a while to jump out of the relegation places and will be hoping to stay out of those relegation places. Now, obviously, being the youth side for Borussia Dortmund means you're gonna have a lot of talent. They should have enough to stay clear of the drop, but they need to start picking up results. Anyway, that is all the time we have then on the Going Deutsch podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week, later than usual, because of the Super Bowl, which, let's face it, is the real game of the weekend. So I can cover that on the NFL Blitz. But hopefully this podcast will be back on Thursday. I hope to see you then. But for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward. And until we meet again, I'll be the same.